you are listening to By the Book. Because if you don't look at the world through the Bible, you will never see it right. This is Alan Griffith, your host for episode 23 of By the Book. We are in a series right now on the rapture, and it's going to take a while. And the reason it's going to take a while is because you have to know the history to understand prophecy. And so we're not just jumping in and looking at some prophetic text. Now, we've already done that with regard to the rapture, but now we're moving to uh, go back and see the historical framework that leads us to the rapture. Now, again, it's going to take a while, and I hope you'll stay with us. If you have uh, your Bible and you can open it and follow along, I hope you'll do that. If you're in a situation where right now you can only listen, then I hope later you'll re-listen, get your Bible open, because we're going to be talking about a lot of Scripture. To me, it's very exciting Scripture, uh, and I hope it is to you too as we work our way through history leading to the yielding to some of these prophetic truths. And again, our focus is on the rapture. Now, if you're following along in our current series, and I hope you have been, I want to remind you that last time we finished by speaking about the Abrahamic covenant found in Genesis 15. And we saw that it affirmed God's promise to Abraham that he was giving him and his seed the land of Israel forever and without conditions. Now think about that. Think about that. Think of it in light of where we are today and what's going on in the world. And here's this little country, Israel. I want you to know it is the focus of prophecy. And this truth that God gave that land of Israel, not in, in fact, more than what is uh, part of Israel today, and we're not going to go that direction for the moment, but what God intended for Israel far more than than what they have claimed today. But think that God has given that land to Abraham and to his seed after him, and God said, I'm giving it to you forever, and I'm giving it to you without conditions. In other words, there's no way it's going to be a retracted promise or a retracted gift. God gave it to Abraham and his descendants forever, no conditions. Well, God gave this covenant in Genesis 15, and then uh, trouble came. As you might know, Abram and Sarah, his wife, did not immediately have a child. So Sarah told Abram to have a child by her Egyptian handmaid, Hagar. Now, it was critical that they have a child because God promised that uh, the lamb would be given to his seed, and uh, Abraham didn't have a seed. So Sarah comes up with this idea, uh, why don't you have a child by my Egyptian handmaid, Hagar? Now, we might ask why she suggested it and uh, why Abraham did it. But he foolishly followed his wife's advice, and Hagar birthed a son whom they named Ishmael. 
In Genesis 17, the Lord affirmed his covenant to Abram as far as the land was concerned, and he changed his name to Abraham. And that's why normally in Scripture, that's how he is referred to. But God changed his name because he was inferring that out of him, many nations would come. But, and this is important, he also told Abraham that his covenant regarding the land and seed would not be fulfilled through Ishmael. In Genesis 17, 15 to 19, the Lord said Sarah would bear a child whose name was to be Isaac, and that the everlasting covenant would be established and carried out through Isaac and his seed. So we're starting to see some uh, specific things that are coming out of this Abrahamic covenant. The land would be given to Abraham and his seed. However, not all his seed, the promises narrowed down to uh, Isaac and Ishmael, yes, the seed of Abraham, but left out of this promise. Well, in time, Isaac was born and he grew up. He married Rebekah. They had two sons, Esau and Jacob. Now we go to Genesis 26. In Genesis 26, 1 to 4, the Lord appeared to Isaac and personally confirmed that he would be heir to the covenant the Lord had made with his father Abraham. Then in Genesis 28, 10 to 15, after a lot of family turmoil involving Esau and Jacob, the Lord appeared to Jacob in a dream to tell him that the great Abrahamic covenant would be fulfilled through him and his seed. So Esau was left out. Ishmael was left out. Esau left out. Many years later, found in Genesis 32, verses 24 to 30, the Lord changed Jacob's name to Israel. Jacob had 12 sons who headed the 12 tribes of what became the nation of Israel. So, let's acknowledge that God made great promises to Abraham in Genesis 12. One of those promises was that out of Abraham would come a great nation. While Abraham had many descendants, the great nation was limited to Isaac, not Ishmael, and then to Jacob, not Esau. Jacob's name was then changed to Israel. Through his sons, the Lord has and will continue to fulfill all the promises of the Abrahamic covenant of Genesis 15. The great nation of Genesis 12 2 had been established. The line would be through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who God then named Israel. So at this point, we have the promises of the land, today's Israel, given to Abraham and his seed forever. The seed, the physical descendants that are included in this promise, are narrowed down through Isaac to Jacob and his descendants, remembering again that God changed Jacob's name to Israel. 
I want you to see what's happening. I want you to see how God is developing this nation as he is laying out his promises and kind of giving us the story that's going to lead us, really, to the end times. Well, by the time Jacob's 12 sons had been born, the nation was still very small, but living in the promised land. And then you might know the story that Jacob's 11th son, Joseph, was sold into slavery by his older brothers. He was only 17 years of age, by the way. And you may know that story. It's told in Genesis 37. So Joseph ends up in Egypt, but by God's grace, he rose to a position of power and authority. Years later, famine in the land of Israel led Jacob to send his 10 oldest sons to buy corn in Egypt. And eventually, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and finally the entire family moved to Egypt. Now, interesting, the total number of Jacob's family when they went to Egypt was only 70, as recorded in Genesis 46-27. So at that point, those 70 people were the nation of Israel. Over the years, while in Egypt, the nation grew. But change in Egyptian leadership developed. The pharaoh who had been there when, when Joseph was there passed on, perhaps another passed on. The leadership changes, and there was a hatred developed for the nation of Israel. They were growing too fast, and they were put into slavery. Eventually, again, you probably know the story, God raised up Moses to deliver the nation and lead them back to the land that God had given them. By that time, however, they weren't 70 anymore. They grew to probably what was one to two million, and they were ready to go back and claim the land that God had given them. It's significant, by the way, this is critical as you move through history, that in Deuteronomy 30, near the end of Moses' life, he spoke to the nation, and he inferred that times would come when the nation would be out of the land due to sin, but that God would finally bring them back permanently to dwell in the land, which the Lord, and I'm going to quote here from Moses, which the Lord, quote, swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. And you find that in Deuteronomy 30 and verse 20. That's important because even though Israel was in the land and then at times out of the land and they were conquered and so on, the promise of God was always there. The promise that eventually they would have the land, they would have it permanently, was always there. That's what Moses was telling them back in Deuteronomy 30, and that is confirmed many, many times as we move through the Scripture. Now, I want to call your attention to an important event recorded in Genesis 49. While in Egypt, so the nation is still in Egypt, Jacob is nearing the time of his death. He called his sons together to give a prophecy regarding the future of each of his sons. And in verses 8 to 12, 
he spoke to his son Judah. In verse 10, he said this, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Interesting prophecy. Jacob prophesied that the scepter or the staff of a ruler would not depart from Judah. And this is the first suggestion that someday this nation, Israel, would have a king, and the king would come from the tribe of Judah. Jacob said the scepter would not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet. And what that meant was the whole line of kings that would come to Israel would come from the tribe of Judah. Then he said, until Shiloh come. That phrase means until the one comes to whom it belongs. In other words, Jacob says, there's going to be kings. The kings are going to come out of Judah. The kings that God intends will come out of the tribe of Judah. And eventually, there's going to be one come to whom the scepter really belongs, the owner of the scepter, the ultimate king, if you will. Then Jacob said this, and unto him, unto that ultimate king, as I'll put it, unto him shall the gathering of the people be. That means when the one who truly owns the scepter comes, the people will submit to him in obedience. Remember Numbers 24, 16 to 17? You might not say, no, I don't remember that. But you'll remember it maybe when I talk about it here for a moment. It's the prophecy of Balaam. And I'm going to read it to you. It says this, He hath said, which heard the words of God and knew the knowledge of the Most High, which saw the vision of the Almighty falling into a trance, but having his eyes open, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab, and destroy all the children of Shem. That prophecy that prophecy of a scepter rising out of Israel, a king rising up out of Israel, that prophecy is the prophecy that moved the wise men to search for the king of the Jews when the Lord Jesus Christ was born. So think of Jacob. His name was changed to Israel. He was the head of the small but growing nation of Israel. Remember that the forever promises of the land and the seed that were made to Abraham were confirmed to Jacob, to Israel, and his seed. And now we see that Jacob introduced clearly that out of the line of his son Judah would come kings and eventually the king who would be the rightful ruler of the nation. 
I want you to see that detail of the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant has begun to emerge. It would include the land of Israel, the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and a king out of the tribe of Jacob's son, Judah. History is moving forward. Stay with us. Don't don't walk away from this. This is what's going to lead us to prophetic truth. So, God used Moses to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt to the border of the promised land. With his passing, Moses dies. God put Joshua in the place of leadership to claim the land that God had given them. And I love that, by the way, if you go to Joshua chapter 1 and you find God instructing Israel, he talks about you have to go and get the land that I have given to you. It's been given to you, but you have to go and get it. And by the way, there's a lot of application of that kind of thing to your life and my life when it comes to the promises of God. But in any event, God puts Joshua in the place of leadership. Eventually, Joshua passed away. And the nation faced turmoil from within and from without for maybe 400 years or so. The Lord raised up judges to lead them during that time and to deliver them from their enemies. But rather than fully surrender to the Lord, the last verse of the book of Judges describes those times with these words. And you no doubt have heard these words before. It says, In those days, There was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Now, the last judge of Israel was Samuel. 1 Samuel 7.15 says, Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. Now, Samuel was a godly man, a wonderful servant of God. But when Samuel got old and he wanted to make his sons judges, They were rejected because the sons were ungodly. And the people turned and said, we want a king. We want to be like the other nations. We want a king over us. Well, that was a a discouragement to, to Samuel. And he was very disheartened. But the Lord said to him very simply, 1 Samuel 8, 7, he said, they have not rejected thee. They have rejected me. You see, God had ruled very directly through the judges, and now they were rejecting what had been God's plan, and they said, we want a king, and we want a king now. Now, as you might recall, by the anointing of Samuel and the acclamation of the people, a young man named Saul, the son of Kish, was chosen to be Israel's first king. But don't miss this point. This is the last point I want to make in this particular podcast. Don't miss this point. 1 Kings 9, 1 to 2 tells us Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin. Remember that Jacob's prophecy about his sons declared that the scepter belonged to the tribe of Judah. The Lord used Saul. But before long, his sin and rebellion cost him the throne. And then things will move on from there, and we'll talk about it next time.
Lord bless you.